I've told you that I've, I've borrowed from a, a series um, <clears throat> from Robert Morris of Gateway Church. And uh, so some of these uh, messages may be borrowed a little bit from his and then and then we'll switch gears. But I'm still using uh, the, a little bit of the, the messages in this one strongly from his uh, Robert Morris's series, The God I Never Knew, which he titled this message, Does He Baptize? If you remember one of the last messages, we talked about the um, prayer language, the private uh, prayer language in tongues where uh, it's not God sending a message to the church through us, but it's our spirit, the spirit of God being able to help us pray to God uh, through the spirit in tongues. And, and that if it's in the service and that's a message in tongues, it's for the church, then there must be an interpretation. And we talked and we looked through scripture that, look, it doesn't make sense. It's not, it doesn't make sense for you to be uh, saying something that sounds like gibberish to other people if it's not going to edify and build up the body. But the private prayer language is to build our build us up. And, and so I, and during worship, when we're singing, I just there's something in me just saying, God, how do we how do we get as a body to the place where we want this so bad that we just cannot even leave here? Until God has done something in us. And, and not for show, not for anything, but we need to be built up. Now I'm just going to talk straight to you. There isn't a person in here, it's not just Pastor CJ, that when we go through times where great growth, everybody's praising God. Look at all the seats filled. Look, we don't have room parking. Oh boy, they need a building. And then when whatever reason, through not really getting plugged in in a community or, or people uh, move on and, and we're left listening, like, where's those folks? Where's those? And you get discouraged. And, and, and we get tied up in thinking about the numbers of people in the seat or how the church may look on the outside, right? And those things, because we tend to make church in our, our temporary realm like we would think of our house or our family. Well, everything's got to look good. Everything's got to be appearing like it's going well and we can't have trouble in the family. People will see that we're having trouble. We don't, we don't want to be embarrassed like that. But, but I'm not talking about any of the, the church, uh, the natural things of the church. I'm talking about in ourselves have such a change in us that it changes other people. And then what happens within these four walls and outside of our walls are just fruit of that and inconsequential to looks. It's just a matter of what's happening in us is changing us and others. I was talking to Sister Golda yesterday as we were going through partnership class at, at, a, uh, at their house, and, and I said, you know, um, we, we, we really need to get, uh, we, we need God to do something in us to where when you're in the grocery store and you can look at a cashier that by all intents and purposes, everybody else around is looking at them, they look like they're doing their job and maybe they're not smiling, but they're doing fine. But the Holy Spirit says, you ask them if they're okay. And this has happened to me and you ask them if they're okay and tears start to stream down their face. Mom and dad, my mom and dad told me a story about going through the airport and was it on your anniversary? Or no. See, I can't tell any stories right. So I'll just make them up. How about that? Everything I say about my mom and dad, you can assume will be made up. And then you can find out from them what the truth is. No. Alaska Tractor Show. And they're going through the airport terminal. And there is a lady there. And was she already, was she looking sad? Or what was it that clued me? Oh, she asked one of you, how do you do that? Talking about how they were reacting to each other. Am I correct? How about you just tell the story? <laughs> Artificial knee, and I have two okay, artificial hips. Take a vote. How many likes the scruff on my dad's face? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Okay. Now go ahead. Dad. Your mom doesn't. <laughs> but we were coming through the airport uh, at Anchorage, and uh, 
this young lady was, of course, crowds were coming in, and and uh, Doris said, I've got an artificial knee. She said, well, step over in this little area. And I stepped up, and I said, well, I've got two artificial hips. She said, well, just hang out with this lady over here. And I said, well, I've been hanging out with her for 55 years. I guess I can hang out a little bit longer. And all of a sudden, she got terribly emotional. And she went over to pat my wife down, and she said, how did you do it? And uh, long story short, she either was going through a divorce or had gone through a divorce. She began to tear up, and she said, I guess we just kind of drifted apart. And, of course, here's crowds of people waiting behind us, and we didn't have the opportunity to really pursue it for a long time. But uh, she uh, she definitely was uh, very emotional about it and uh, wanting, wanting to know how we managed to stay together in marriage for 55 years. I guarantee you... I'm going to tell you, because I know the difference in my own life, I guarantee you that scenario is different. You can say the same words, but the same scenario, but, but minus the leading of the Holy Spirit to prompt you to say those things at the right time, at the right place, to the right people, those things don't happen. There's, there's something that happens in the Spirit-filled life that, that until you have experienced that, you, you, don't, you don't know, and it's not a, this isn't a negative thing for you. It's a discovery. It's a, hey, look, God wants to do some things through you that's just different than just trying to share the gospel because you've got some facts that helped your life that you're going to share with another one. You know, I say that I'm just a beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. Well, uh, that's a cute saying in a sense, but the truth really is, is I'm just a vessel that the power of the Holy Spirit can operate through in such a supernatural way that it literally peers into the heart in the soul of someone who, who have no idea of what's going on in them and literally in a moment be a change agent for God, him working through you to change their lives. So this is vital. This is not, this is not just CJ in another sermon. This is just not new song in the same building we've been in for six years and something different. I'm telling you that even others have commented, God wants to do something. They can sense it. God wants to do something in every single person in here. There's not one of you within the sound of my voice right now that God isn't trying desperately to, to draw you in and do something miraculous in your life, even independent of whether I'm on it that week and doing well and preaching good and have the best attitude or not. It's not to do with me. It's everything to do with us as a body. So the question is, if you want to turn in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to just get ready, the question is, does the Holy Spirit baptize? See, Robert Morris, he makes a claim in his message that I, that I borrowed from that, that many refer to the baptism in the Holy Spirit incorrectly as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. When I first listened to this message, I actually tossed it to the side. I said, there's nothing really there for me. I'm not going to get into semantics and, and, and preach a sermon where we're talking about whether it's in or of or this or that. We, uh, we all just know what we're talking about, right? But, but then again, um, I was commenting someone when we had the men's breakfast and Bible study. There is some in-depth study and a lot of information. And I'm thinking about others who maybe are newer Christians. Like, are you really getting that? And so I want us to look at this. And take a serious look at it as I did because it literally did change my mindset about this. I, like as I prepared for this message, like I might as well have been sitting in the seat getting it from like you are because uh, only better because Robert Morris put it better than I would. But um, but I'm getting this and it and it and it didn't change my doctrine. I just realized that the way I communicated my doctrine was confusing. Does the Holy Spirit baptize? 
See, the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus at salvation. And that's what I've been trying to explain for so many times in different words of saying that when, when you are saved, that, that we get the Holy Spirit, but, but that's confusing. What do you mean you get the Holy Spirit and you get him later too? Or what? But the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus, and we'll see this clearly in Scripture, that, that salvation is actually a baptism in, in Christ. And the Holy Spirit, when we get saved, baptizes baptize us into the body of Christ. Let me read to you the, uh, that scripture in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the 13th verse. By one Spirit, so by one Spirit, by one Spirit it's saying, the Holy Spirit, we are all baptized into one body. And we know it is referring to the body of Christ because in verse 12 it actually says the body of Christ. So we are baptized into one body, the body of Christ. For those who want to fact check me with what the Assemblies of God doctrine believes, because Robert Morse is not Assembly of God, so the question is, is, is it aligning with what we attest to and believe? Well, um, I don't know if uh, you're able to get that uh, link and whether anybody will want to copy it down, but straight from the Assembly of God uh, uh, webpage, uh, what we believe, this is paragraph 5 and 6 from from their belief on the whole, from our belief on the Holy Spirit, the Assembly of God. Being baptized of the Spirit must be differentiated from Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which following the Greek word order reads, by one Spirit, we all into one body were baptized. The context of that passage demonstrates that by, the word by, is the best translation, indicating that the Holy Spirit is the instrument or the means by which the baptizing takes place. That means the Holy Spirit's the one that introduces us to Jesus, baptizes us into the body. Now, it goes on on the Assembly of God page. It says this. In verses 3 and 9 of the chapter, Paul uses the same preposition twice in each verse to indicate an activity of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, baptized into one body speaks about the Spirit's work of incorporating a repentant sinner into the body of Christ. We're talking about salvation. So the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit's work of incorporating a repentant sinner, someone who repents, wants to be saved, into the body of Christ. Uh, it gives references to Romans 6.3, Galatians 3.27. I will talk fast for a little bit and slow down. Uh, and then the equivalent expression, baptized into Christ. And that's because you could look this up and read this exactly as I am. This is the one baptism of Ephesians 4.5. It is the indispensable, all-important baptism that results in the one body of verse 4. And then it says, to summarize, at conversion, the Spirit baptizes into Christ, the body of Christ. In a subsequent and distinct experience, Christ will baptize in the Holy Spirit. So here's a little spoiler word. Does the Holy Spirit baptize? Yes. The Holy Spirit if you could just visualize the Holy Spirit standing here and there's a tank and that tank is, is the salvation in Jesus Christ while he did on the cross, the Holy Spirit is one that baptizes you into the body of Christ. And that's what this is saying. So does the Holy Spirit baptize? We could say yes. But listen, we're, we're, not, we're far from done on that. So when you get saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes. Baptizo, which means to immerse fully, and that's what baptize means. That's why in the Assemblies of God, we believe baptism shouldn't be sprinkled. It's not that we make this big, huge, hairy deal over it, except that we will not sprinkle, we fully immerse, because the word baptizo means fully immerse. So when the Holy Spirit baptizes you salvation into Christ, you're fully immersed in Christ. There's no partial salvation. It is full. 
fully immersed. So, what is a controversy? What is a thing? What, Pastor CJ, what are you going to try to say today? What's the one thing I can walk away with that, that you're trying to say is going to make the difference between you know, all these semantics and the wordplay and all that? What's going to make the difference in my life? Well, that is that the controversy around the Holy Spirit is, do we need to be baptized in him, in the Holy Spirit? And if so, who does that? Do we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? We're baptized in Christ at salvation. We know that from the Word. And you good old AG folks, praise God, the Turquoise Vatican has declared that at salvation you're baptized in Christ, okay? So we're all on the same page. So the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. The disciple, whoever disciples you, baptizes us in water. And once we get saved, we come for water baptism. We see that in Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you see the Trinity in that verse. And, and, and so after we get saved, we get baptized in water. And water baptism is a sign. And I've said that many times. It's a symbol of, a, of that inward decision being made public. However, it's more than just a sign. Some of them made it just to be a sign that water baptism has no real significance other than just a ceremony. Some have made it further than that, where it's a requirement. You won't go to heaven without being baptized. And so we believe it's a sign, but it's more than a sign, but it's not necessary to go to heaven. But Jesus said you should do it, so why would you not do it, right? Why would you not do it? We call it an ordinance of the church, like communion. So I'm not going to get any further into that argument I'm just going to say that it's a sign, but it's more than a sign. It's a cutting away of the dying flesh, uh, the, the bearing of one's old self and coming up a new creation. We're identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, now we can slow down. Anybody confused or I talk too fast? All right, here we go. Now in Ephesians 4, before I show you this next point, in Ephesians 4 it says there's one baptism. And those who argue against the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they use that one verse because it says it's only one baptize, uh, baptism. And for those who argue against the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when they use that, they have to also realize it says there's one Lord. Now here's where the confusion starts. Some will argue there's only one baptism, and that's baptism into Christ. There's not a later baptism work other than water. But see, they believe in two anyway. Because they believe in that initial baptism into Christ as salvation. And they believe in water baptism. And they say they only believe in one. But they believe in two. And I'm going to show to you through scripture there's three. Because there's a baptism in the Holy Spirit. The first one is baptism of the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit does the baptizing of Christ. And then we're going to see. And so they'll say that. But it says there's one Lord. Yet those people who hold that verse as their evidence that there's only one baptism. They believe in the Trinity. So, so it's a little confusing when they say, well, see, it says there's one baptism, so there's only one baptism. But it says there's only one Lord, and they say, no, but there's three persons in one. So that's where we need to get, that's, that's where when I listened to this message, and I started to dismiss it. Jen will tell you, didn't I say? So I'm not going to preach anything like that. I was looking for material from his series because it just really, there's some really great stuff. And I listened to this, I was like, that's just semantics. We're not going to get to in and of and all that. People just think, that was a waste. But it caught hold of me. It caught hold of me, and I realized it does make a difference. 
Because in my language I speak, I confuse myself. And if I don't get it right, then I confuse myself, and then guess what happens to you? I confuse you. Because I'm responsible to lead you in in understanding the word as well in our services. But here's the thing. There is a Father, there's a Son, the Holy Spirit. So we know there's a a three in one, there's a trinity. And so when it says there's one baptism, we know there's actually, there are three, but they all agree together. So the trinity, there's three persons, but they all agree. They all work in unison. There's, There's total unity. Same thing with those three baptisms. They're all working in unity. And we look at a verse where it says there are three in heaven, but all agree as one, talking about the trinity. And then there are three on earth, it says, that agree as one, referring to the three baptisms. I just, you know, total honesty. When I heard this, I was like, you know, when I, when I understand this, I realize I have believed and have been taught there's three baptisms. But in my mind, I've always said there's two. There's water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence speaking tongues. But, but I realize Scripture is very clear that there is an initial baptism and that is salvation. So, so let's, let's, let's go to this. When I'm telling you there's three, here's the third one. Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3.11 is quoting John the Baptist here. It says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he, capital H, he, that's Jesus, who is coming after me, John Baptist is pointing to Jesus, is mightier than I. In fact, he says, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to carry. He, capital H, talking of Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist is telling you that Jesus, there's not a theologian out there that won't, will disagree that John the Baptist is pointing to Jesus and speaking of Jesus. And the scripture says, he, speaking of Jesus, will baptize the act of the tank. And Jesus is there and the Holy Spirit is the tank. Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. You know, I remember as a young person, I don't know whether it's my dad's teaching or someone, you know, I'd always been told, you don't pray to the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you. You pray and ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So I was getting correct theology then, it's just I didn't understand it. And and my verbiage confused me because sometimes we assume people just get this or that they just need the main idea. But we're going to see in here in a minute when you put it together in the way it's supposed to with the right terminology that that your theology and your doctrine helps you to understand why you need what you need and the scripture that backs it up. And and so it talks about he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And we can read that on, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and sat on their heads as what? Tongues of fire. So, you know, whatever a tongue of fire looks like. Right? I don't know if it looks like, you know, how fire, you know, wags and think about how tongues wag, you know, but tongues of fire. Okay, so there's a couple things you need to know about this. John the Baptist wasn't speaking to the 12 disciples. How do you know that? In other words, some people will say, oh, that was just for the 12 disciples. How you know he wasn't? Well, because the 12 disciples had not been called up yet. This is Matthew chapter 3. They were called in Matthew chapter 4. 
We can look through each gospel and see that after John said this, after John's baptism, uh, when John's baptism is when Jesus called the 12 disciples to follow him because Jesus himself was first baptized in water. Remember, John the Baptist didn't want to do it. I'm not worthy. Jesus said, you must. You've got to do it. Jesus needed to be baptized. And some will try to say the baptism of the Holy Spirit was for either the 12 apostles or the 120 in the upper room only. But John was speaking to everyone willing to listen and believe, saying there is someone coming after me. He is the Messiah. And this is, the one, this is one of the ministries of the Messiah, that he will, the Messiah is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And it's for everyone. He wasn't just thinking of the 12 or the 120 because the 12 wasn't there. He was speaking to everyone, telling everyone, when the Messiah comes, this is what he does. He wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Now here's what you need to also understand. Many people have said the Holy Spirit baptism and Jesus and Jesus baptizing in the Holy Spirit are the same thing. Okay, they're not the same thing. Listen, the Holy Spirit baptism in Jesus, salvation, and Jesus baptizing in the Holy Spirit, that's then the baptism of the Holy Spirit, initial physical evidence of speaking tongues, they try to say it's the same thing, and, and the other one's really not existent. It's just we're confusing. It's all the same thing. But they're not the same thing. They're not even the same thing grammatically. Those of you, Jen proofreads my stuff because I'm terrible with grammar. Those of you who are like grammar fiends, read this and, and look at this. Look at the grammar. Grammatically, they can't be the same. In the way it's written, and if you want to dig and get into the original and uh, language and, and go through that, but grammatically they can't be the same thing. There is a baptism in the initial where the Holy Spirit baptizes you in Christ, as Scripture says, salvation, and there's a separate baptism. There's also baptism in water, that's very clear. And then there's baptism of the Holy Spirit, where Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. And you can't say the same because they have different subjects. Grammatically, they're different. In the first one, the Holy Spirit is doing the baptizing. In the second one, Jesus is doing the baptizing. Yes, theologically, you cannot say they're the same. And also, grammatically, you cannot say they're the same. Let, let me do it this way. Let's have an illustration. I haven't done this in a while. Um, I want to do this strategically. So let me think here how I want to do this. Um, is, uh, Devin's in here, right? Okay. Yeah, is that the only other father-son? Because I pick on them a lot. Is there another father-son here? Okay, yeah, Danny and Braden. Or Bryce, whichever one will come up here with you. And you got five seconds, guys, or else I have to pick someone else. All right, five, four, or you can all three come up. Two, one. Okay, so here's the thing. Let's just say that they're brand new, uh, I'm brand new to New Song, right? And I come in the door, and Danny introduces himself to me, right? Hey, Danny. And he's, he's like, hey. And then all of a sudden, here comes Braden, and he walks up, and Danny says, let me introduce you to, to Braden, right? And so he introduces me to him, right? Then, then Danny walks off, and later Braden starts telling me a little bit more about Danny. So he's really kind of introducing me a little more to Danny. He starts telling me about his dad and, and the things that they do and their interests and, and just starts to tell me about all the things his dad can do, right? So, so there's two introductions, right? Different subjects. One's just kind of name and get to know each other, right? And 
So now we have this relationship as we know each other. But then this other one, you know, it, it's a little more. So don't, don't go too deep into this because it's not as uh, deep of illustration as what you're, you're going to try to make it out to be. But okay, guys, thank you. So, so there's, there's uh, two introductions, but there are different subjects, right? They're, they're on a different uh, plane. So, so if you just wanted to use um, that illustration in two different subjects, the Holy Spirit introduces me to Jesus. We know that the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we say it all the time, believers, that we're praying that the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come over an unbeliever that they may want to know Jesus. Do you say that? Is that your theology? Do you stand on that? That that's your theology? That's your doctrine? That, that, that it's through the Holy Spirit prompting the heart of the unbeliever to want to know Jesus? So therefore, the Holy Spirit, Danny, if you want to be the Holy Spirit, right? And so, Holy Spirit says, you know, I'm introduced to the Holy Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes on me. Says, Holy Spirit says, I want to introduce you. Now, Braden gets to be Jesus. I want to introduce you to Jesus. And begins to just introduce, and so become a new believer. And that's why you still mess up a lot more when you're a new believer, and it's their sanctification process, because you just got to know Jesus. You're not all like Jesus yet. You got to know him. But as you're walking and the Holy Spirit, Danny, is telling me more and more about Jesus and the desire, then there comes a point where Jesus says, you need to know more about Danny and what Danny can do in your life. And so Jesus wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. So they cannot be the same. There are, two, there are three baptisms one being of water, and the other two we've explained. And this is very important because there's a difference between of, the word of, and in when it speaks of baptism of the Holy Spirit and baptism in the Holy Spirit. And baptism of the Holy Spirit is a baptism the Holy Spirit performs, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a baptism Jesus performs. And it may seem just like semantics, but it's important because we can't confuse believers when we say the baptism of. When the subject we're really talking about is the baptism in. You get it? We're, we're talking to them about one thing, but we're really, we're, we're really on a different subject. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you think new believers are going to look at this and say, no, nah, this of and in thing is just really confusing me? No, but we need to understand that, that when we talk about this, we, we want them to understand how they get introduced. How is it that I all of a sudden want Jesus? Because, see, the enemy will come and lie to them and say, yeah, that was something that person just caused you to think you need Jesus. They need to understand, but that through Scripture, because of what Scripture teaches, it's the Holy Spirit the whole time. Jennifer may have been the one that planted the seed, right? Because of the minister of the gospel planting the seed and going out and evangelizing. But it's the Holy Spirit that nags them all the way to their bed and to their pillow when they're laying there and think, I can't quit thinking about this. They need to understand that they're being pursued. They are being pursued like, like nothing ever before that once that once the Holy Spirit has introduced them to who Jesus is, right, if they don't make a decision to follow then, it's game on. And you, especially if you've got believers around you praying for your salvation, it's game on. Try to run and hide. I, I pray, Lord, don't let them turn to the left, to the right, forward, backwards, look up or down without one of your believers being in their face. And I love the stories that come later about, you know, how they kept running into, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so, and, and, the, and it just kept pressing. So, 
This is an introduction that we need to understand how it happens and to preach that and help them understand and tell them. This is another thing the Holy Spirit will help you with authority. Tell them. And I've told people when the guys that I pick up on the highway that that's happened, I said, listen, you're not going to be able to forget this conversation. And how do you say that? Just knowing they won't be able to. Are you just taking a chance? No, I believe scripture. They're being pursued. I have now planted the seed. I say, I'm just going to tell you that you can say what you want, whether you want to believe or make a decision now, but when you go to lay your head down tonight, you're not going to be able to quit thinking about this because you're being pursued. Now, now the bond has been broken where the enemy has tried to keep you from hearing the gospel, and that has been lost. So the next battle is now for your soul, and that's what's going to happen. And it's just awesome. You can say it with all authority, knowing, not because you're just clever, not because of anything you, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So, I'm going to show you the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Mark, Luke, and John also. Again, it, the temptation will be that this is not important, but it really is. There are few, very few things that are in all four Gospels, very few. The reason is Matthew, Mark, and Luke recorded only the third year of Jesus' ministry. Something else I don't think I remembered from Bible college, but it's true. They only record the third year of Jesus' three years of ministry they only record the third year. They literally say at the beginning uh, of their writings, the, the first few chapters, after the beheading of John the Baptist. And we know the beheading of John the Baptist, it was after the beginning of the third year of Jesus' ministry, so therefore, they're only writing the last year of his ministry. John, then years later, wrote after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and later, years after John writes his, and it's clearly before the beheading of John the Baptist. So John covers... The first two years of Jesus' ministry. So John's covering more there. That's why Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as synoptic gospels, meaning they're, they're similar, they're the same, there's much the same in them. And by the way, there are only a few events that are in all four gospels. If you're ready for them, I'll, I'll, I'll list them for you, and I think we may have it for up there too. The birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection the feeding of the 5,000, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's, those are the only things that are in all four Gospels. Now, I just want to comment that the birth, death, and resurrection, obviously, most important, they're, they're the most central to our faith, and that's the Gospel. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, God thinks that is so important that he puts it in all four as well. The feeding of the 5,000, I believe, is important to show us that the expectancy, the expectancy for God's solution to our natural problems. I believe he wanted a, a separate miracle that met the physical need in a situation that involved ministry to encourage us that that's also important. Okay, so let's look at the other three Gospels. Mark chapter 1, it says, Indeed, baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, he being Jesus as the subject and the one doing the baptizing. Then Luke 3.16, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worth, worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then John 1.33, And I did not know him, but he, capital H, Jesus, who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, that 
is he, capital H, Jesus, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so for the rest of our time this morning, which we don't have much, I just want to, the rest of the time, I want, to, I want to talk about three words. That's salvation, water, and spirit. I have a question for you. Is Jesus our example? Yes, good. We're getting reactions. Is Jesus our example? Yeah, right. Well, here's another question. So did Jesus have these three baptisms? Was Jesus saved? Was he water baptized? And was he spirit baptized? Okay, when we, when, when we are saved, the Bible says we're born again. You know, we're, we're, we're born again, and so that's kind of hard to understand. Even at that time, there was those asked, how can I go back in my mother's womb? But we're born again of the Spirit. But when, when we're born again, we're born as children of God, and we're born as perfect children of God. Now, hear me straight, and this is a point that Robert Morris made as well. We are not perfect as in uh, our performance. So we know we're not perfect until heaven, but we are perfect in our position. Perfect that we are perfect children of God in our position, not performance. We're not perfect here. And the, and the reason that's important because of what Christ did. Christ lived the perfect life. We'll never live the perfect life, but we are in Christ because the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Christ. And we're now in Christ, so we are born again. So was Jesus ever born again? Well, no, he wasn't because he was born right the first time. Jesus wasn't born into sin, so he didn't have to be born again. His was a perfect birth, even though in the flesh it was perfect because he was born sinless. Jesus was born at birth, already born the child of God, the son of God. So then here's the next question. Was he baptized? Well, yes, Jesus was water baptized. We, we know the account. We read it. John, uh, or we didn't read the whole account, but John baptized Jesus in water, John the Baptist. But here's the third one, and the most difficult for some, was he spirit baptized? And I may have even incorrectly said, even recently, that Jesus didn't need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because it's his spirit. But the truth is, when you look at this, there are those who say that Jesus is our example, and since he wasn't spirit baptized, we shouldn't be either. And Robert Morris said, what Bible are you reading? And then when I looked at this thought up, because when Jesus was water baptized, what happened right after he was water baptized? The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Was it a dove? No. Like a dove. The Holy Spirit descended on him. Now listen, if Jesus is going down the water and stand, John Baptist says, no, I'm not worthy. And he says, you've got to do this, right? I have to set the example. I have to be water baptized. This is what I want everybody to follow me in. And then the Holy Spirit comes and descends on him. What do you think the message is there for every believer? Jesus didn't have to be born again. That's taken care of, right? But he said, it is important. I need to be water baptized and the Holy Spirit needs to descend on me, right? So, look at the grammar. Again, it's a simile, which means it's not part of the main body or part of the main sentence or the main meaning, which means it could be taken out of the sentence and the sentence mean the same thing. It was, an, it was not an actual dove. It was like a dove, as you said. Okay, I have another question for you. If Jesus... If Jesus, the son of the living God, fully God, fully man, and then who is deity, if, the person of the, if he needed the person of the Holy Spirit while he was on earth, how much more do you think that we need the person of the Holy Spirit? If Jesus himself needed the person of the Holy Spirit while he was here on earth, how much more do you think we need it? We need him. So Jesus had 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. And I, I'm, I'm, so I'm saying there's a pattern in Scripture that we get saved, we get water baptized, and we get spirit baptized. It's all over Scripture. It's clear and it's evident, yet there's so many who will take and try to look past it or look around it or explain another way. But by the way, it's the same as when we said the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ, which is salvation. The disciple baptizes us in water, water baptism, and Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. So it's a pattern. So let's look at that pattern together. It's clear as day. Acts 2.38. Then Peter said to them, Repent. And that's how you get saved. You repent and then you turn from your old life. And let everyone, it says, of you be baptized. And there's the water baptism reference. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8 verse 12. Philip, who is a deacon, goes to Samaria and preaches. And in verse 12 says, And when they believed, Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, they got saved because they repented. And then, and when they believed, Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, and in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. They were water baptized. You'd think the Bible would stop there saying that they had all they needed. Right? If we hold to the theology or the doctrine that there is no third baptism in the Holy Spirit, um, Jesus baptizing the Holy Spirit, then they, they should stop. But watch what the Bible says. Verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to Peter and John, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, let them know they all, that all they needed was done and they just go home. Is that what the Bible says? They see Peter and John, they came across them, they had been saved, they'd been water baptized, now pack it up and go home. You got everything you need. No. It says, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And then it explains it. He had not immersed them, they had not been baptized yet in the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. That they had only been baptized, that's water baptized, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So it's clear. They got saved, they got water baptized, and they got Holy Spirit baptized. Acts 19.1 And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul had passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, now look, at, look at that for a moment. Paul the greatest apostle that ever lived. As Paul is traveling to Ephesus, through Ephesus, and finds some disciples, so he says to them, disciples, believers, been water baptized. Well, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, if you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe automatically, why would the greatest apostle ever live ask that question? You would think that Paul would know correct theology. I mean, he wrote a third of the New Testament. That's a third more than any theologian living today. He wrote, Paul wrote that inspired by God. So that means God is the one who is saying, the author of the scripture is saying, since you believed and since you've been water baptized, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Listen, he asked them straight out, did you receive the Holy Spirit? He didn't beat around the bush. He just met them. 
There's just an introduction. And then, hey, how does this happen? Did anyone pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit? What an amazing question. And, and you need to deal with this. Listen, believers, every single one of you, whether you're at New Song or any church, this is the Bible, this is Scripture. It's, it's written in here, and so you have to make a determination. It's just like when you're confronted with salvation. Either believe or deny Christ, but you've got to make a decision today. You need to make a decision. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So now this Paul, he, he says, this is all you need, right? No, he doesn't. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now you need to know something, because people say this Holy Spirit baptism only happened in Acts 2. No, it happened in Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 19, and that's just the book of Acts. You also need to know this, that Acts 8 with Philip in Samaria was five years after Pentecost. Five years later, people got saved, water baptized, and they still said, whoa, you need more, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then, you see, in Acts 10 is about the Gentiles receiving, and it was ten years after Pentecost. Ten years later, the disciples are believing they need to be saved, water baptized, and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, ready for this? 25 years after Pentecost. 25 years later, this isn't a one-time event like some will try to teach. That the Acts account, it just was a one-time event, and it was just for then. The greatest apostle who ever lived found some believers, some disciples said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So let me ask you point blank, as Paul did, have you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit since you believed? If you repented and believed, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, this is where it gets real and it squishes our toes. And things get hot in here, whether the heaters work or not. is because some of us have lived a fairly long time. I'm a believer. True statement. I've been water baptized. True statement. But whether from fear or past indoctrination or just not wanting to have to approach that there's something else I may need to do, have just pushed that away. And when it's preached, so I'm just going to duck out of this and this will go away because... Come on, pastor will only preach on this so many times a year. But you know, I really believe in divine appointments. And I believe if anything that God could have planned this whole thing, all the frustration we've gone through with getting the church going and all this stuff to this point and all the work, if anything, is because there are people who still need that work where Jesus is saying, I want to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Because there's no way you can understand how badly you need it until after it happens. From Scripture, you can know with head knowledge and believe the doctrine and the theology, but you don't understand. The reason you see some people who seem like it's not that they're perfect or they don't have struggles, but it seems like there's a strength there that you can't quite put your finger on, and the devil can come at them, and they just are resilient, and, and, and they just keep coming back for more, and you look at and you think, how can those people have that kind of strength after cancer and after all this? It's because the power of the Holy Spirit Again, just look at the accounts. The disciples were hiding out in fear for their lives after Jesus. These were the folks that walked with Jesus, the Son of God, heard his teachings directly in their ears, and did not have to read it and hopefully believe it. They saw the miracles are right there, and yet denied him, turned the back, ran, hid. And it wasn't till the Acts account in the upper room when Jesus himself had said, it's better that I go because you need this Holy Spirit. 
He was ready to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Go wait. It's going to happen. And what happened? Boil me in oil. Cut my head off. Do whatever you're going to do. But I will not stop until everyone has heard the gospel. Man, let's bow our heads. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you for fellow ministers of the gospel who even help other ministers, Lord, through their word, begin to even understand better what they uh, believe, God, that we could teach what we believe, but yet still be confused in, in some instances. And God, I'm thankful that, Lord, you still help me to be uh, pliable and moldable, Lord, that you can still break my heart. And God, I pray that for each one here, that, God, we don't get uh, steeped in tradition or in our own ways or in pride or whatever it is, God, that would shut us down right now, Lord. That would shut us down, God, from receiving. That, Lord, even though there's more to this message and it's coming, God, that, that right now we don't need to wait if, if the Holy Spirit has convicted our hearts and your word has rung true in our, in our hearts that today is the day, just as, a, as the unbeliever has to make the decision that today is the day of salvation, we too now as believers are confronted with today is the day for the Holy Spirit baptism. Lord, you know my heart. You know that there's a fear that would creep up in me because I think, Lord, do I have enough of you? I think as simply sometimes as your disciples did, do I have enough of you? Am I worthy enough, Lord, to lay my hands on anyone and then receive? But then I realize that it's not me doing the baptizing. It's you. That I'm just the vessel. And that's your power, Lord. It's your introduction to the Holy Spirit that... that Lord matters. That God, we just are here to preach your word and offer the opportunity. And it's up to the believers and the unbelievers alike to receive. Right now, if you're here and you want to be prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I would ask that you come forward and if there are others who have already received and that you operate in that gift and, and uh, you, you know that you can come and lay hands on with me, I believe that God would have that. So I want to open this time right now at the altars. We have time. You can come up here and we can pray that you receive. Jesus, Jesus. Maybe there's some here that say, I've received before, but it's just that I've let go of what God was doing in my heart, and I need a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit. I need to just reconnect, and I need Jesus to, to continue to, to do that work in me. And we want to pray for you.